0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman and I'm so delighted to be sitting across from Lydia Yuknovich today. She is the nationally best-selling author of the novels The Book of Joan, The Smallbacks of Children and Dora a Headcase and of the memoir The Chronology of Water. She lives in Portland, Oregon and Verge is her very first story collection. Welcome.
1: My complete pleasure to be here, Maris. <laughs>
0: It, it's such a joy to have you. Um, I, I've seen you talk before. And um, I saw you, of course, at um, a publicity dinner that Riverhead had thrown. Right, right. And I've read your work. And you have such warmth and generosity coming off of you, even in, when your stories are, are dark and sad. Tell me about that.
1: Well, it's a... A sort of realm or state of being that I'm familiar with. I've lived most of my life inside circumstances that uh, somebody else might look at and call ugly or difficult. And the people I love have lived inside those realms too. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how they're kind of like liminal spaces. Yeah. And And what I mean more concretely is, you know, people who come from trauma or abuse or people who are fleeing from one kind of difficulty to try and get a better life, or incarcerated people, or uh, people who've been in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, those Some of those experiences have happened to me, and right. they're also experiences that have happened to people I love who are in my life. So that liminal space idea comes from my devotion <laughs> to those people and to my insistence that even inside brutal or, or terrible or difficult experiences, there's beauty and the possibility yes. that somebody could stand up or leave or be, you know, become. And so I tried to make some characters who are in these fraught, yeah. fractured liminal spaces.
0: The, the fourth story in the collection gives a, the Garden of Earthly Delights... That one, <laughs> because you really, you you really give us one shining moment of actual just joy. Like you, the, the light comes up.
1: And, I'm so happy. You feel that?
0: Yeah, and it's 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 a wonderful story because you know there.
1: Touching fish all day. What is the,
0: what, what is the profession of the, of the people who you write about? It's
1: kind of a fishery slash cannery. Um, there are more than one version of this kind of work. Okay. Up in that area of the world and in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, and these men just love the fuck out of each other. (laughs) (laughs) They just love each other and, In my constellation of -hmm. these characters, if you look at them all together. Yes. The, the moments of, uh, tenderness or light or joy all exist inside a queer experience. Mm. And particularly in that story, a gay male experience, because that's who I'm devoted to and those are the people who taught me how to love mm. and how to dress and how to cook <laughs> and how to clean, although that part didn't work. <laughs> um, and so the stories a little bit are devotionals, and that one in particular is, is my understanding and definition of tenderness.
0: Yeah, and it's it's such a good re- reminder, like, I have such a hard time at taking a step back and thinking, wow. This is good. Right. Especially when life gets overwhelming,
1: which it is every nanosecond.
0: Every nanosecond is overwhelming. I know.
1: Same. And uh I try so hard. So I'm going to be 57 this summer, and I'm starting to get like the tiniest bit better at trying to stop every day and look at something briefly that somebody else might miss and just stand and recognize that it's beautiful, not yeah. like gallery beautiful or <laughs> celebrity beautiful, but, you know, that that small, more Buddhist idea of the tiny, uh, seemingly inconsequential beautiful. Yeah. But if we lose that, man, we're screwed.
0: Yeah, we got to keep that. <laughs> um I also love how one of the themes that runs through so many of these stories is that books actually do provide an escape. Not subtle
1: there, am I? <laughs> <clears throat> I
0: and I hate to do that more than ever <laughs> kind of thing, but I find that to be increasingly true.
1: Oh, I agree with you. I mean, if if we can be blunt about it... Uh, and this is true globally, but right now in particular in America, we're in a like edging closer to book burning phase yeah, yeah. in terms of what's transpired in our country and how quickly it's transpired. So uh, I, I've i often had, you know, dinners and wine with friends where we talk about how part of our love for books comes from the idea that so far we can still remember them burning. Hmm. And in that, in that sentence, and in that idea, is uh, its other, which is you can still hold them in your hands, absolutely, and you can still feel like you leave one reality and enter another,
0: and that is so helpful. You you are also the presenter of a viral TED talk that's called "The Beauty of Being a Misfit," <laughs> and. Um, that seems to permeate your collection as well.
1: Oh yeah, They're, these liminal spaces are occupied by people who aren't quite right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yet, again, I love I love those people. I love those characters. In them, I see a beauty I don't see celebrated in the world mm. very often. Certainly not celebratized. And they often don't get the mainstream story. And so, like I said, these are my little secular prayers to them. Mm,
0: I love that. And, yeah, these are people who in another story would be a supporting character perhaps right. or like an extra in a, in a movie. Right,
1: or worse, they tend to fall into the cracks of villain or monster. Right. Or the, you know, the Other. That? Yeah, yeah. You know that old Peter Lorre film, M? Yes. I'm never going to stop watching the motion that happens in that story where he becomes, he's made the monster. Yes. Um, I think it might have had a big impact on me. I saw it <laughs> when I was really young. I was, and then my favorite book right after that was Frankenstein. Of course. So that explains a lot. Yeah, it sure does. Where my aesthetic <laughs> comes from.
0: Um, tell me a little bit about developing or having empathy for the more fucked up people amongst us.
1: Well, I've been that, um, I'm not shy about talking about addiction. Mm -hmm. I've been in lockdown in psych wards. I've been arrested. I've sat in a jail cell I've made spectacular mistakes in my life. Right. I have a DUI. I very nearly killed myself and the other person in a head on collision. I have several marriages that, Mm -hmm. that word came out weird. I have several marriages that went busto. I have a sort of trail of long term relationships with women where I like fled because <laughs> I was, <laughs> flew it so badly. Um, and, and again, you know, like legions of other people coming from rough beginnings uh, in terms of abuse, I think it just fractures some of us in a way that makes us unable to step into the storyline right? like other people. And so my empathy partly comes from having been it. And then just this question that lives in my heart, which is, yeah, what have you done today? Right, and what if somebody put a, you know, flashlight on your mistakes? What would that look like? Would you be as beautiful? Would you be as righteous? Because I've been exposed before.
0: Yeah, and yeah, you capture people not at their best, but you know, not at their worst either. Just be right,
1: just ordinary human default. We tend to fuck up. We tend, we tend screw to screw up. up. Yeah, uh, and that doesn't make us ugly. That makes us human.
0: Yeah. Um, Tell me about, there are five stories in the collection called A Woman Something. A woman object exploding, a woman refusing, a woman going out. Tell me how all of those fit together.
1: Well, they're definitely a series. Yes. And they're definitely meant to echo each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trying to capture women. And when I say woman, I mean any person who enters the feminized space yes. and feels the vibration mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. And uh, so in several of those pieces, they're, first of all, they're fragments, mm-hmm. and they're meant to be a captured moment where nothing is resolved or decided or you don't even get the full ramifications of whatever this so-called action is. Right. I'm meaning to just capture women's anger. Yes. Or the space of woman anger, whoever steps into it, mm-hmm. and open it and let us stay inside it without resolving it and smoothing it over and giving it plot and resolution and climax, etc.
0: Tying it up in right. a nice little package. Right.
1: Um, because I'm of the belief that... In this country and globally, we still don't know where to put women's anger, and we haven't explored the generative possibilities inside of the hub.
0: Yeah, and just being able to sit with it, That's let it. it just, yeah.
1: What is it, and what might it be generative of? Right. Um, we see glimpses of it culturally. And then, shockingly, whoever (laughs) the woman is who tried it, either she tried her brains or she tried her agency, Uh, the speed with which it gets sutured shut or shut down is endlessly alarming. So we still haven't figured it out.
0: And there's, again, every nanosecond brings us something else to be angry about. Right.
1: And so let's have a look. Let's, so these women are like yeah. <laughs> right in the moment before either their glory or their demise and <laughs> just caught right inside that energy to just look or feel it.
0: Without giving too much away, though, I do love how the last of the series uh, ends because it's there, there's a hopeful note that maybe um, someone's going to have a good time.
1: That's the other place I put tenderness. That's so good. With what happens on those pages?
0: I love it. And the, and you. that story is two pages, but it's so evocative that uh, you can imagine, or I could spend a lot of time imagining what happens after that.
1: I'm glad. It doesn't really begin or end either. No. Yeah. I'm glad you said that.
0: Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the order of the stories. How Did, did, did you always have, like... Was the pull always going to be the first story? Um,
1: no, I conjured uh, an order with my agent, right, Ray, Ray Hane Sanders. Oh, she's great. Uh, but then, really, the editorial team, um, mostly Cal, mm-hmm. uh, Cal Morgan. Yeah, he gave it a, a sort of portal or lens, mm-hmm. and that that curated what happens to the characters in a way that made the sequence of them very dynamic. Yeah. That I couldn't quite see like those little women fragments you spoke of earlier. I had them all bunched together.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And the brilliance of spacing them apart. I just think that's brilliant. Now I see that they're threaded through is the best way they could possibly appear. Um, and I'm, I'm not actually very good at ordering stories. <laughs> uh, even Chronology of Water is a memoir right. I wrote and I couldn't order that by myself. Oh, either. sure. I got too close to and it. That's and that's your I life and couldn't see. So I appreciate it when someone else finds the sequencing because I think very abstractly and I think in images and I think in lyric splashes. Right. Like an abstract painting. Sure. And so, when someone comes in with sequencing help, I think it, I'm very grateful.
0: You also think in in water terms. I think <laughs> you're a swimmer. That there are so many different visions of swimming and and water and fish in this collection.
1: You noticed.
0: (laughs) I I I did.
1: Well, so I was a competitive Uh, swimmer for over twenty years, and when I was writing Chronology of Water, I was I was finding out what uh, the metaphor could yield Mm -hmm. for me telling a life story. Right. And in this book, the return to water has to do not so much with me, but with the world. Hmm. and how the metaphor of land and water might help us restory ourselves in a bigger more global way less about lydia's puny little life right right more about what else could the elements yield in terms of changing how we think about each other and the planet hmm.
0: and of course the the first story is very much about um refugee children swimming hoping to swim to safety correct and you really pull us out at the end and make us think about why they're there
1: yeah it's a definitely complicit explicit address to their for sure
0: that seems like a, a a really
1: evocative way to
0: have the first story start.
1: Yeah, it's not like quiet, is it? It's it's a real call out. It is. Uh several of the stories are some version of a call out or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, but not in a shake your finger or same right, no. way more in a uh, a feeling I think we're all having which is what are we doing? Right. And when and why and how wait. How do we and we're overwhelmed because we wish we could just snap our fingers and change the bad parts. But that's right. absurd. We can't do that. Right. So uh, I'm not a wizard. I don't have good <laughs> answers. But I do appreciate it when somebody slows the story down and just says, wait, before it gets sucked into like yeah. the news cycle. Wait, where's the human part? Where are our hearts? What have we done with them? How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another favorite of mine was um, drive-through, <laughs> which you tell in the second person. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is because I'm from the suburbs and I live in the city now. But um, a drive-through at McDonald's in a Corolla—that seems like <laughs> right. <laughs> that seems like a very American experience to have. And then, of course, the the driver has to avoid this homeless person who's really. Not doing anything. Not at all. But who is
1: terrifying to the person in the car. Right. I I was trying to scratch at and make dramatic the idea that all our big fears and xenophobias Mm -hmm. and difficulties around otherness... Uh, we replay them in the smallest, dumbest ways in all our <laughs> lives too. Like it's happening to that woman in her stupid Toyota Corolla. Yeah. She's still bumping up against the larger dramatic fears she has probably in the world, only it's in this tiny, again, liminal space. Right. Where she lets her fear become her and she's absurd and, and she's, um, kind of stuck inside the, the fear, stuck inside a whiteness stuck inside a kind of
0: capitalism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the car in the car, capitalism in the car waiting for
1: her fries and humanity is around her and she's terrified
0: yeah let's also talk about oh, street (laughs) walker another favorite all of your stories are my favorite as you can tell
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're really nice
0: (laughs) But I think, and, and that comes earlier in the collection too, mm. and that also f- forces your "quote unquote" average person
1: to take a look around them and, right? To, yeah, that's any of our streets. Yep, it's any of our streets, and it's um, a lot of our pasts have double and triple lives in them that we don't yeah. talk about very much. And we don't admit that the parts of the story that are less attractive are any part of us. And so these I'll say it like this, these two women mm-hmm. who meet in that story are kind of um uh, distorted mirrors of each other. Yeah. They're not exact mirrors, but they almost are.
0: A little bit sliding doors.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the they're both writers if you will allow me to suggest that the thing, the woman who comes into the house, what oh, she of does at, is, a
0: form of- is
1: a form of writing. And it may even be a more honest form of writing <laughs> yes. than the puffed up glorious feeling the woman who lives in the house gets Academia, being a writer. Yes. Writer. So um, I'm trying to stage a tricky thing <laughs> that that um, is not, that story isn't super far away from my actual life. Some of the stories are far away and some right. are less far
0: away. Um, I assume the organ-running children are a little further
1: away. little further away. <laughs> okay. Although in terms of, you know, the children we're raising in the world globally, you know, my small domestic violence situation mm. and coming out of that is not unrelated to, to children elsewhere on the globe who are being moved through economy and violence. Yeah. Um, and I did have a Jane Goodall book that I was <laughs> obsessed with, and I own nine stuffed monkeys, and one of them is missing a hand.
0: Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> it is far so from it, me. But, yeah. but also strangely close. <laughs> Amazing. Tell me, thank you so much for coming in, and tell me about what you're reading.
1: Oh, I love this part. <laughs> so everyone who's left who hasn't picked it up should get Therese Myatt's book, Heartberries. Yeah. And there's a beautiful man doing the circuit right now named Garth Greenwell, oh, whose is book beautiful. is Cleanness. Mm-hmm. And if you've been living under a rock and you <laughs> missed it, Ocean Viong's book, mm-hmm. On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Tommy Orange's book, there, comma, there are I think those four books have saved my life in the last couple of years. I was so desperately angry and sad. And those books have given me such hope and reminded me that this isn't, and this is the beginning and we need to work our asses off, not give up.
0: We do. And, and that there's, there are so many wonderful fiction writers out there still bringing out new ideas and every day every single day
1: and those four writers in particular are literally fracturing the tradition of um fiction writing and nonfiction writing in a way that will uh get rid of some of the <clears throat> get rid of some of the pile up that's <laughs> been the tradition for so long
0: i love it thank you so much my pleasure